All right, awesome. Uh, good morning. Awesome to worship with you guys this morning. Uh, as Man, I, that scripture reading from Kelly, Ezekiel 36, one of my favorites in the whole Bible, got me a little fired up. Because we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit. There's kind of a common saying that uh, runs around in the circles of maybe your non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic churches that goes like this. Uh, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son of God. But the Holy Spirit I'm not so sure about. Um, And this is... Obviously, that's a joke, but this is partly because the Holy Spirit is a mystery. He's a mysterious part of God. And and as humans, we have the tendency to do this with anything, but especially with God, is to reduce him to a size our mind can grasp and therefore control. Right? Obviously, we don't control God. We control God in our mind, not anywhere else, not in reality. But we can try to control him in our minds. And the world that we live in, the world has a message, and God's word has a different message today, which I'm going to share with you. But the, the world's message is that God doesn't exist. God, maybe he exists, but he's cold, or he's indifferent, or... He's an egomaniac who just wants worship for himself. All these messages about who our God is. But who I, what I want you guys to come away with today, what I, what I want you to know about God is that the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. It's his personal presence. And the reason that I say the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence and not just his presence is because maybe, maybe to be a little stereotypical, wives, you ever been talking to your husbands and you're talking to them, they're present there with you, but they're not really present. They're not really listening and hearing. Right? So, A husband can be physically present, but not personally present. And vice versa, you you have, maybe you're hurting and you you call a friend on the phone. And they're not physically present with you. But they can comfort you. They can empathize with you because they're personally present with you over the phone. So there's a big difference between God's presence and God's personal presence. And so today what we're going to talk about is what it means to have God's Holy Spirit. What it means to have have him, and we're going to do this by kind of tracing the theme of God's presence throughout Scripture. And then we'll kind of end with a few paradoxes just to really muddy the waters, make it really unclear about who the Holy Spirit is. That's a joke, hopefully it is clear. And uh, and a practical application. Okay, so we're going to start off... Uh, I just want to share, well, the kids, the kids introduced my scripture already for this morning. They read verse 1, we're going to read verse 2. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Now, the Bible is bookended with the theme of God's presence. It's right here. Right? In verse 1, we see God's presence. Verse 2, we see his spirit. And if you're reading the Bible front to back, okay, as you come to verse 2, you might not realize that the spirit of God is God's personal presence, but that is revealed later in Scripture. And then in the book of Revelation, right at the end, Revelation 21, John, he's having these visions of the new Jerusalem, right? The, the, new, the new heaven on earth. And what is so amazing about his vision? Is it the streets of gold and the pearly gates? And I, No. It's the fact that God's personal presence yeah. is going to be there. That's what's going to make the age to come so incredible. And so we see God's presence. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This, this particular word that we translate into hovering, uh, the Hebrew has this meaning of, of brooding. And essentially what brooding is, if you think of like an eagle who broods over her nest, what that means is that she, she essentially provides, she feeds her young. And then especially when the young start learning how to fly, they fly, and she's, what she does is when they go, and usually they don't, they don't fly always the first time. They start to fall, and so she comes down and she catches them. She's watchful. She's brooding over her nest. So we see the Spirit of God in creation. Uh, let's go to Isaiah 63. Uh, this is Isaiah the prophet reflecting on the Exodus. So what happens in the book of Exodus? Uh, verse 11 says this, Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where, where is he who brought them through the sea? With the shepherd of his flock. Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Who set his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown. Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. It's really interesting, as Isaiah reflects on the Exodus he sees the Holy Spirit as integral, as very involved. We don't, when you read Exodus, the Holy Spirit's not really mentioned by name. But we see that the Holy Spirit was, in fact, there. and was, in fact, really a central character of the story. So the Exodus, right, is when Moses split. They, they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Moses parts the Red Sea. Right? The, pl the plagues come before that. Parts the Red Sea. They go through. They're delivered. They're delivered. This is Israel's pastime. This is their glory. This is their glory days. Right? It's like, this is... It, if you read, just to read through the Bible, you see, the, even in Jesus' time, like you see, what, what is it that the Israelites, so Jews are the Israelites, they're always talking about Moses, the law of Moses, the exodus, the deliverance. And matter of fact, what they're waiting for in the Messiah is another deliverance, one who would come in the footsteps of Moses and deliver the people from their bondage. 
multiple, every year, the Jews have multiple celebrations, like week-long parties to celebrate what happened during the Exodus, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Booths during their time in the, in the wilderness. It's, it's their glory days. It means so much to them. Let's go ahead and keep moving through Scripture. 1 Kings 8. So this is at the, the building of the first temple. So they had, have had the tabernacle, and now they have, a permanent, have built a permanent place for God to dwell in their midst. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Man, could you just imagine this cloud coming down over the temple? You know, what it would have reminded the people of is the cloud that led them in the wilderness. It was this cloud, this glory, this, this sign of God's presence. And as you can, and, and what happened was is that the temple essentially became the center of Judaism. It became the center of everything. It became their identity because it was God's presence that dwelt there. And that temple would stand for 400 years. And then it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And when they went to rebuild the temple, it says that when they laid the foundations in the book of Ezra, that the people who had seen the first temple, they wept when they saw the second. And Haggai, who prophesied during their time, said this, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not appear to you like nothing in comparison? This was a people who had, they, were in ex, they had been in exile. And then they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And you know, interestingly, hardly anyone came back. This, Israel had lost their identity. They had lost, well really what they had lost was God's presence. Their morale was crushed. God's presence was everything to them. And you know what the glory that was missing from the second temple was? It was the cloud. The cloud didn't come back. They built it, and the cloud didn't come. The glory days didn't happen. Now imagine that it's the first century. I want you to put yourselves 2,000 years ago, the first century. You're, you're a Jew. This is, this is the stuff you believe. This is the stuff you believe in. And you convert to Christianity. 
there's this Jesus guy, and people are kind of going nuts, and you convert. And the, and the Apostle Paul writes this to your church. He writes this to the church you're a part of in Ephesians. He says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Man, when Paul says this, we're a holy temple to the Lord so that he can dwell in our presence. The cloud, the power, the deliverance, all these things come rushing back into your mind. The glory days. It's amazing. That's what it really means. That's the, that's, that's the weight Right? Sometimes we read, we read Scripture, and I and the whole building join together, become a holy temple in the Lord. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and in the New Testament, then what's further revealed about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit isn't just God's personal presence, it's the personal presence of His Son, Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, there's a man named Saul. And he's persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. And Jesus appears to him, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? He said, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's the closeness, the intimacy, the connection between the people who are the holy temple. And God himself. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, man, the Holy Spirit sounds awesome. Eli, you're saying all these awesome things about how epic the Holy Spirit is. I'm not saying it. The Scripture is saying it. But I don't feel that. I don't really experience what you're talking about in my life. There's a phenomenon known as hysterical strength. You guys ever heard of this? So what happens is is in a kind of a life and death situation, people all of a sudden will have like supernatural capabilities. Um, And this has been documented like thoroughly and well. So for example, a, a, a a mother, right, gets into a car wreck and her child is pinned underneath a car and she's never lifted, you know, more than, I don't, I don't know, a couple hundred pounds in her life and then lifts this car to get her child out from underneath. It's hysterical strength. And from a scientific, I mean, maybe there's, a, there's an angel involved, like, right, from a spiritual perspective, God is doing something there. Okay, but from a scientific perspective, what's happening is there, this situation, 
the circumstances, essentially open up all these, these pathways inside the body, like the neural pathways that all of a sudden, it's like everything, all the potential is unlocked and you can use it. So what brings about hysterical strength? It's the circumstances. You, you, you just don't, don't, I do not recommend going out to the parking lot and trying to lift the cars. <laughs> and here's the circumstances, what draws it out, and here's what we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The weight of the world is trying to crush God's Holy Spirit in your life. Open, it's already, the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're in Christ. It's there. It's the circumstance that opens our eyes to the, to the realization, to the possibility of what that really means. And whether or not the Holy Spirit in you is able to get out from underneath this, the crushing weight of the world will result in the spiritual life or death of yourself and many others. That's what's on the line. Right. It means so much to have God's Holy Spirit, his personal presence. And so, I want to share a few paradoxes with you guys about the Spirit. How do we become filled, right? Don't, don't, don't you want some of this Holy Spirit in your life? Yeah. How do we become filled? Here's the thing. We all have the same amount. God's not like, here, this, this, this Stevie, here, you get, you get uh, a big chunk of my Holy Spirit, and Dustin, here's a little bit left over for you. It's not how it works. We, we, hold, we, we hold the Spirit collectively. Also individually as well, another paradox. But it's not a contradiction, okay? Because a contradiction can't be true, but a paradox can. So how do you become full of the Holy Spirit? You might not like this, but the answer is self-denial. Self-denial. What do I mean by that? It's not your life, it's not your plan, and it's not your power, it's Jesus's. It's his. You know, Paul says, how does Paul say this in Galatians 2.20? He says, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. He's, the only way that that's true is if Jesus' personal presence through the Holy Spirit is living in Paul's life. And so, as we try to I just want to talk about a nuance of, of self-denial. A lot of times, well, I'll say this, authenticity, being sincere, is a, very, is a good thing. It's a high virtue. But it's not the highest because sometimes our true selves are also our sinful selves. You know what I'm saying? For example, maybe you're one of those people who just... This is you, right? This, I, you just tell it how it is. Right? 
And so and that's a good thing, man. We need truth. But this, in the spirit, you have to speak the truth in, in love. It's, it's, not, it's not always beneficial to just say it how it is. But I know, but that's like, well, why? What? That's what people need. They need truth, right? They need it in love. Maybe I, you, just, you just have a temper. That's just, you know, other people can kind of control their anger. That's great. That's good for them. But, man, it just, you, lose, you come back to earth, but you kind of explode. Well, that's just, how, how can I not be that way? That's just who, that's my temperament. That's who I am. Man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I'm just not a people person. I'm just not a, a people person. So I don't really share my faith a whole lot or go to church. I just don't, I just don't like people. It's not good for man to be alone. God wants your spiritual self, which means that you need to go against and deny your non-spiritual feelings and emotions and things that are deeply connected to your identity. Now, some feelings are of the Spirit. So how do we know? How do we know the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure? You have to test the spirits. It's in 1 John chapter 4. And the way that we test the spirits, first of all, is through the word of God. And I will caveat that by saying, rightly interpreting the word of God, because we can make the word of God say just about anything we want it to. So the word of God, prayer and fasting, seeking the advice, listening to the voice of others to hear if the voice of God will come through them. So advice. And then, and then doing it. And then acting on it. Go. Because here's the thing. God doesn't reward perfection. He rewards faithfulness. So if you faithfully study the word and pray and fast and seek the input of others, and God, I think this is what I need to do. He's not going to squash you. He's going to give you strength. Right? The eyes of the Lord, they go to, to and fro throughout the entire earth, seeking to give strong strength to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so, you want the power of the Spirit. But that prayer is only answered with an accompanying prayer that goes like this. God, deliver me completely, thoroughly, and absolutely from myself. The gifting, the second paradox, the gifting of the Spirit. So, if you're in Christ... And you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I need to tell you something. You're gifted. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And once again, you might not really feel like that's your reality, like that's your experience. What are you going to give more authority in your life, more credence to, your personal experience or God's word? You are gifted. And you know the interesting thing, and this is also, what I'm about to say is going to sound like a contradiction, but it's not. It's a paradox. That the Bible isn't actually that specific about what happens to you when you become full of the Holy Spirit. It says, talks about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Isaiah 11 talks a little bit about what happens when you're full of the Spirit, but the Bible is actually not super specific about what happens. And that's because the Spirit of God, God's personal presence, does not bypass specific characteristics of our humanity. So what I'm saying is, is that God wants to use you. He wants to keep parts of you. He does want to get rid of some parts of you because he works with humanity through his spirit. You become partnered, and it furthers God's ministry. It furthers his mission. And so I thought I was supposed to forget myself, deny myself, and now you're telling me God wants to use me, who I am? Yes. So here's how that prayer goes. When you pray that prayer, God, deliver me completely, absolutely, thoroughly from myself, you can just trust that he's going to keep what he needs to keep. Often, we try and measure how much of the Spirit we have by our gifting. But we don't measure anything else in our life that way. So, I've been, uh, been married to my wife for about five and a half years, and she gave me this wedding ring that I have on my finger. And as you can see, this wedding ring is it's just a little piece of rubber, because I lose my rings all the time. So this is $2. So this is the gift that my wife gave me to represent our marriage. $2. Really? It's worth, our marriage is worth $2 to you? We don't, no, no, no. How, 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 do we, how do I measure my marriage with my wife? I measure my marriage by the love, the joy, the peace, the fruit of our marriage. And so, however you feel about, I don't have the spirit, or the gifting of the spirit, you don't measure it by the gifts, you measure it by the fruit. How much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control do you have in your life? And that's how much of the spirit you're full of. Lastly, our third paradox. The Holy Spirit, right? All these good things about the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. I mean, surely, right? Once you're like in this space, life has just got to be like, you're just cruising, man. You got power and you're victorious and life's got to just be so easy. So good. But the Spirit sharpens. It sharpens the conflict between now and the age to come. So you see, right, you, you look around, you look in your own life. You don't have to look further than, than your own heart. 
and you see the darkness, and you see the pain and the wounds. But then you, you read God's promises. You, you, you hear scripture, you hear preaching, you know, you know the eternal bliss that waits. So it's like, which is it? So this is where we have to lean into the age to come. Here's what I mean by that. In the age to come, in your next life, or maybe not your continuous life, your eternal life, you're not going to lack anything. So give. Lean into the fact that you will not lack anything in eternity. In eternity, you won't be afraid of anything. What are you going to be afraid of when God's just chilling in your presence, in your midst, and you're worshiping him, and the angels are all around? What are you going to be afraid of? So have courage now and step out into your fear. Lean into the age to come. And you know what's cool? Is that when you do that, God is brooding over you. You start to fall catch you. And when that happens, when you start seeing, because this is God's desire for the age to come to break in here and now. So when you start to see, you start to give, and like stuff starts happening, you start to step out in courage, and man, you start overcoming your fears. You start to see the age to come breaking in, man, nothing will build your faith. Nothing will help you experience the reality of God and of his personal presence in that. I mean, live right on the precipice, the cusp, right? The the edge of that cliff of the age to come. That's the space you can live in through God's personal presence. So our, our, our... Three paradoxes of the Spirit. I just wanna, I'm not going to give you guys a whole lot of practicals today. Just one. Because well, I'll, when I share it, I, I think it'll make sense. I think it's appropriate and fitting for the situation. So we'll close out in the Scripture. This is from Exodus 33. So this is during the Exodus. And this is after the Golden Calf episode. Hopefully most of you know what I'm talking about. Israelites, they blew it. And... Um, This is Moses talking to God. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What Will, that's a good question. What will distinguish God's people from all the other people on the face of the earth? There's only one answer, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's God's personal presence. Moses, right? God actually offered to send an angel with them. He was mad, so he was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay back a little bit. I'll send an angel with you. And Moses was like, no, we want you. Do you go anywhere? Do you do anything? 
Do you leave your house in the morning without God's personal presence? Don't, don't do that. Don't go anywhere. Don't, don't go anywhere. Don't make any decision. Let the Holy Spirit lead in your life. Right, and how, and how do you know? How, how do you know what the Holy Spirit's leading is? Just practice. You actually will get better at following the Spirit's leading the more that you try and the more that you practice. And when it goes wrong, that's God catches you, and he rewards your faithfulness. And right there at the bottom, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek the leading of God's personal presence in your own life through those things that we've talked about testing the Spirit, study of the Word, prayer, careful thought, advice. And then there's a strict command in the Bible to not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. So if you do all of these things and then don't act on whatever it is that you come away with, that's quenching the Spirit. Don't do that. Act. Guys, it, it, it just takes... It's, it's really, God's personal presence in your life is a highly, I can't tell you where he's leading you. No, no one else can. They can help. They, but, but you have to seek this in your life. And so that's, that's, my only, that's my only practical. As we go into, we're going to be starting our, our sermon series on Romans next week. And we're starting the fall, and it's a new school year, and you're going to hear it. Paul talks a decent amount about the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. Amen. I want you to be thinking carefully, studying, praying. God, what do you want from me? How, how can I be in step with your spirit, with your personal presence? So with that, let's go ahead and pray for communion. Heavenly Father, God, we, we commune with your son Jesus through the Holy Spirit this morning. God, we ask that we would believe the reality of your Spirit, of your personal presence, God, as we, and, and help us to commune and enjoy that fellowship and to experience it for real, God, and not just be this religious thing that we do and we go through and just go through the motions, God, help us see the circumstances, see the reality. So, God, we just pray that we we can remember Jesus. This is, this is so much of what he died for, was to give us the Holy Spirit. So we pray that we remember you, commune with you, and are grateful for, for the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus at this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.